So, Sophia, what have you been eating? Tell us. Um, I had some ice cream today. Of what variety? <laughs> flavor? It was Americone Dream, which is actually, um, it's like a Stephen Colbert-specific Ben & Jerry's It's the Ben & Jerry flavor. specialty. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It was again? It's delicious. Are you a Ben... Are you a Ben and Jerry's connoisseur? We. Uh, oui. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Stephen Colbert is my uh, late night host of choice. Mm. I, I think Jimmy Fallon is overrated. I I don't. I feel like nobody likes Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, nobody's overrating Jimmy Fallon. He's just rated. He had Donald Trump on his show. Also, Donald Donald Trump was the host of SNL like right before he ran, which I thought was irresponsible. Hey. All right. What, what's the worst that could happen? Parth, what have you eaten? <laughs> what's your body? Are you okay, Trent? Yeah. Um, I my, my uh, I just had pizza. Um, my dad bought a pizza oven. Any toppings? And uh, no, it was just like mozzarella cheese and, and some sauce. Oh, did and you did was... your father cook it with his yeah, pizza oven? With his pizza oven, and it, it like it gets cooked in a minute. It was really lovely. Is the temperature mm-hmm. rather high? It's like 900-something degrees. Oh, wow. Dangerous. I guess that's how you cook a pizza in one minute. <laughs> yeah. You, you couldn't wait the standard 15 by cooking it for like th- <laughs> at 300? You're in a rush. Um, I'm a hungry boy. Are there like you settings a- on the pizza oven, or does it just like... It's No, oh, wait, it's pretty only much... Only 900. Uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's not gradual. It's all or nothing. It's either room temperature or 900. <laughs> It doesn't preheat. <laughs> we have it attached to a gas like tank, so Good. you can heat it however much you want. But you can also put um, like charcoal and like. But in the Maratai household, they're on full blast. Yeah, we go crazy. Not a lot of patience there. No, <laughs> they need their pizza as quickly as possible asap. And they need to be able to turn out several pizzas in less than five minutes. Aside from my family's pizza-eating habits, what have you been eating, Trent? Uh, I just really had quite the feast. I'm in New Brunswick right now, so I got some taqueria, and I had uh, un burrito. And uh, What language is that? That sounds exotic. Espanol. I got up to Spanish 3 in high school. Um, Wait, you're really cool now. Trent, that's sexy. You think so? To be uh, bilingual? That's really a generous label. Um, but it was delicious, and I'm full and uh, energized and uh, nourished. And I'm ready to fucking go. Let's podcast. <laughs> so I guess let's cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, the podcast where we talk about the movies. Each week we discuss a different film and hopefully have an interview with a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience. We interviewed Vashi, editorial consultant of Gone Girl, in our last episode. Check it out. So this week we're going to discuss Gone Girl, the David Fincher feature from 2014 starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Peake, based on the 2012 Gillian Flynn novel of the same name, and she wrote the screenplay. With us, we have a guest, Sophia Alexis, friend of Parth. Welcome. That's your Hello. your your title. I'm the friend uh, of Parth. Yeah. Did you like that grand introduction I gave you? Yeah, I appreciated it. I think it's important to note that I'm your first female guest. You're the first female to ever be included in the podcast, and we we've had like nine or ten men. We're probably in the double digit for uh, for men. It's so. not looking too good. Nice of you to we have a to bad just... body count. You're spicing it up. Yeah, our ratio is bad. Yeah, really. Rutgers would we never. We wouldn't get into a Rutgers frat party. Uh, having ten guys and one girl, and most of them are adult men in the film industry. <laughs> I'm pretty cute. I could help. Yeah, Sophia, maybe you could do enough heavy lifting looks-wise for, like, the ten of us. That'd be really a miracle. <laughs> yeah, probably. All right, Parth, uh, you're here, too. That's nice. Nice, okay, nice well, to see you. Thank you. Well, Trent, um, do you do you want me to read a synopsis of Gone Girl? Please, keep it to two sentences or less. 
With his wife's disappearance having become the focus of an intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when it's suspected that he may not have been innocent. Making him guilty of murder mm-hmm. in Missouri, where apparently they have the death penalty. Bummer. So the budget was $61 million U.S. million, and the box office part, tell me. Um, well, I'll let you know that that made $370 million. So, like, seven times their money. Good work, movie industry. You profited. This is a long production history you've, you've, uh, you've drafted here. Well, I guess I'll, I'll quickly give a rundown of what happened. Gone Girl was a 2012 novel by Gillian Flynn. Um, it was brought to the attention of we- Reese Witherspoon, who was originally going to play the main female lead. But now um, she was just a producer in the finished product. Yeah, so it got acquired by 20th Century Fox. Um, David Fincher got attached to it. David Fincher said, screw you, Reese Witherspoon. I'm going to put Rosamund Pike in it. I've never seen her in anything. Have you? This um, she's my in, first run-in. She's in the first Jack Reacher movie starring T.C., Tom Cruise, my fave, um, and and she's in Johnny English Reborn. Oh well, um, everyone's seen that, so it's a good comedy, and you should all check it out. All right, um, moving on. Anyways, well, this um, was a big, uh, this is a big step. Then, I mean, yeah, this, this is a huge movie. I mean, she she was never really like given much acclaim for any of her performances, but this one really brought her to like, next level. So then um, Fincher basically spent a lot of time working with Gillian Flynn on her script, basically, because he's an established director. And then she studied screenplay books, met with Steve Cloves, who wrote the screenplays for almost all of the Harry Potter movies, except for Order of the Phoenix. Um, he provided Why guidance. Why change the screenwriter for just that one? Um, I've read that Steve Cloves, he wrote like 20 or 30 pages, but he was just like, eh, I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And that was, and, and they just got, uh, I think, Michael Goldberg or Goldberg so what, or he, something like that. He did seven out of eight in a franchise? That's pretty wild. Yeah. So she met with him, he helped her, um, and she discussed with Fincher over the phone, and lots of scenes were rewritten a bunch of times. Lots of things from the book were distilled or cut out. And she worked on the film's ending a lot. She wrote a bunch of different versions of it. And in her words, she said, Once we got to the ending, I wanted it to wrap up quickly. I didn't want 8 million more loop-de-loops. I had no problem tossing stuff out and trying to figure out the best way to get there. Yeah, so, I wonder if the, en- if the ending is the same in the book. Do we know? Yeah, I, ha- I have no real clue what happens in the book, but I've been told that it's a fairly faithful adaptation, which I You would think, would being assume. written by the same person. Yeah. So um, and being she was very involved, and it wasn't just like a a puppet just to put her name on it. Yeah. So interesting produ- that she describes the end of her book as loop de loops. Well, she was yeah. trying to avoid loop de loops because there'd been yeah, enough loop de loops. Yeah, but she cut it out of the script to make the script not have a lot of loop de loops in the end, thus implying that the books had a lot of loop de loops in the end. Well, I feel like in a book you are allowed to have more loop de loops, but in already <laughs> yeah, two and a half I, I would hour agree. movie, I like. I think the end needed to wrap up pretty, uh, pr- pretty quickly as it decided to do. I think pacing works really different in a book than it does in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and in, in a movie, especially once you get to those like last twenty minutes, you're like, oh, okay, let's get to it. Um, <laughs> I think the difference between like a two and a half hour movie and a three hour movie is huge compared to like a book with two hundred fifty pages compared to like three hundred pages. Like that's not that much. It's not asking that much more. Well, anyways, on September eleventh, twenty thirteen, the they started filming establishing shots. Uh, they started. Uh, principal photography on September 15th in Missouri. Um, a bunch of interior scenes were filmed in Los Angeles. And according to producer Seon Sheffin, who is David Fincher's wife, um, there were as many as 50 takes per scene, uh, which is s- standard for Fincher. Um, production shut down for four days when Affleck refused to wear a New York Yankees cap because he is a man of Boston. And yeah, and then movie came out 2014. It was a pretty big success, and here we are. So this movie has uh, some reviews on Amazon. People had a lot to say. 4% of them are one uh, one star, and we're going to read some. 
Um, the first one is labeled one star, which is funny because you could have just looked at the stars for that. But it says, great start, good acting, but, in all capitals, it has an unrealistic and pathetic ending. Wasted two and a half hours. Okay, next one. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. I can't believe I made myself sit through this. Very poorly made. I'm not an expert in film, but it's unbelievable and has poor acting. The plot is violent. By the way, I read the book, too. Just as bad. OMG! Exclamation point. Don't buy it. Exclamation point. Waste of money! Exclamation point. All I can say is the positive reviewers are probably paid computers. Isn't that a handful? Um, And then this one, it says a filthy movie, dot, dot, dot. And this is the reviewer's Janice G. Joyce, which is quite the name. And she included a picture in her emoticon, and it's seemingly a middle-aged white woman. And she's angry. It says, a filthy movie, borders on porno. I returned it. I don't allow filth like this in my home. Uh, Moving on. Well, those were some incredible reviews by some incredible people. Thank you, Yeah, they're angry. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, now that we've talked about that, uh, do we want to get into our own thoughts on the movie? Let's, let's do it. Um, so as always, let's start with direction, production design, and technical stuff. Sophia, you want to start? I don't know. What, what do I start? We have part <laughs> You're the part film kid out of us three. That's true. That's true. All right, uh, I guess. The... I guess I'll start. Thank you, Parth. We appreciate it. You need to carry us for this portion of the episode. This isn't where me and Sophia thrive. It's true. Um, <laughs> this is kind of standard David Fincher technical aspects wise. Um, as always, really good with cinematography. Really good at editing. Really good at shot composition. Like on a on a fundamental like filmmaking level. It's it's a really really well made movie. It's the same cinematographer Jeff Cronenworth who I guess uh, has done the has been the DOP for pretty much all of his movies since 1999, starting with Fight Club and until most recently. Um, the music he, was done. He 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 was he was actually um, there were some second unit shots for the movie Seven um, that had to be done, and the. That movie's cinematographer Darius Kanji had some other movie to do, so they got Jeff Cronenwith, who um, is the son of Jordan Cronenwith, who is the cinematographer of Blade Runner and some, a bunch of other classic movies, um, who is originally slated to do Alien 3, another David Fincher it's joint. David Fincher, yeah. But then um, he died, so he had to be Ouch. replaced. Aww. How many times have you seen this movie? everyone um i've seen it like four or five times something like that that's impressive wow four or five <laughs> i've seen it twice once with parth once today yeah i watched it once solo and then once last night to refresh my memory so i could solo uh, you contribute say. <laughs> <laughs> take it away so so here's why solo a star wars story is, is relevant to our star current wars conversation film. Um, no, I, I guess we'll just, we'll leave, we'll leave that for another time. Maybe we'll cover Solo later, but, um, So, let, can we talk about, uh, the cast? Yeah. Let's. We, we got Ben Affleck. Batman's in this movie, but this is, <laughs> this is pre-Batman. This is true. Um, uh, I think everybody's I, well cast except for Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, oh give me your God. thoughts on that. What, what about, um, <laughs> uh, Tyler Perry? He's in this movie. I liked him. I think he's good in the movie. Like, yeah, I, I don't know about his directing career, but yeah, this he's great. I, I, I don't also, know about Tyler Perry in general, but uh, <laughs> tell me about your uh, wild animosity of Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I like Neil Patrick Harris. I just don't me know too. why he's in this movie. I, Sophia, Sophia texted me. Sophia texted me as she was watching this movie, and she was like, "Wait, why is Neil Patrick Harris? Who made that decision?" Like, I feel like somebody probably reached out to him. And who wanted him? Like, who was like, this is our guy? I feel like Neil Patrick Harris, at that point, was most well-known for, like, How I Met Your How Mother. How I Met Your Mother. That's, like, really all he's known from. I feel like he's kind of trapped uh, to that role. Yeah, but, like, he's really good in that show. And he he's, like, he is that kind of, like, charismatic ladies' man, whatever. Even and he plays he's a homosexual well. man. But, like, <laughs> yes, this is true. 
uh, he is in fact confirmed gay. But um, <laughs> no need for further comment. <laughs> Move on. But um, <laughs> in this in this movie, I feel like they've taken they they've they've taken a person who's known for being like pretty like big. He's like a he's like a theater guy, and then they put him in this really weird like. I don't know, like diminutive role, and I, I don't. He just think looks he like such a all. little man in it. I don't know how to explain it better yeah, like than I've, that. He just doesn't. Why, who fit. should play? Who, who should play that character? Because it has to be like a simp, you know. Because that's all yeah. he is. I feel like it needed to be more of like, like a rich boy kind of vibe. He is rich. Yeah, no, but it's I not agree the with right Sophia vibe. on this. He's he's not like he doesn't give to he doesn't give off to me like. I'm a like. I'm 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 really rich and and like I don't care about other people's feelings. Kind of, he's just kind yeah. of like, like bare. I, I don't know. I think he's trapped to Barney Stinson in the same way that like Jim Parsons is trapped like Sheldon Cooper. It's like they're so known for one thing in particular that it's weird when they're in other stuff. Like Mark Hamill from Star Wars had this problem too. Although he broke out of it to a certain extent um, through voice work, because because Mark Hamill ended up becoming like the joker and he he yeah. was like really good in it and now he has two super recognizable roles but he, yeah he just couldn't be in live action stuff because he had his face was luke skywalker as you know yeah but like neil patrick harris i don't know like i have you seen the um a series was in the smurfs events? movie oh well <laughs> uh, no, i've seen I the smurfs seen movie isn't jim carrey in that well, that's I don't remember. Which movie? The Smurfs movie. No, Jim Carrey isn't in that. It, no, isn't Jim Carrey in A Series of Unfortunate Events? Oh. He's in A Series of Unfortunate Events of the movie. Um, oh, but you're but talking about a different rendition? There, there's A Netflix show came out a few years back um, cool. in which uh, Neil Patrick Harris plays the role that Jim Carrey did. Um, oh. And he's good in that. I think he's really good when he has like big roles to play, like, um, kind of like theater like. Yeah, he was a caged version. I like seeing him unleashed. <laughs> All right, to continue on with the cast, uh, I recently just learned that Emily Ratajkowski plays Andy, and I guess she's like a big model. Is that right? Can anyone confirm? I've like heard that name before. She's a famous person. She was in the Blurred Lines music video. Uh, uh, um, she had she had no top, and then uh, there's the music is by Trent Reznor of, of Nine Inch Nails. I guess uh, that's worth noting. He has the same name that I do, which is cool. But no further comment. Let's move on. All right. Well, I think we should maybe get into our thoughts on the actual story of this movie. Sophia, since you're our esteemed guest, it's nice I, to have you. I kind of already know what you're gonna say. Um, because I saw this movie with you once. Um, why don't Why don't you tell us? Sophia about... doesn't like this movie, guys. <laughs> tell Tell us about your thoughts on this film. Um, I don't know where to begin. I think this movie is an anti-victim movie, and really? I really cannot like agree with many of the decisions. Tell us more about that. Um. Okay. So, obviously, she fakes getting raped two separate occasions. Yeah. Um, she fakes spousal abuse. Um, there's a, and So, a, a big conversation in the whole movie is this discussion on um, abuse, like sexual abuse and, like, relationship abuse and stuff. And they use that in such a, like, weird way that really, I don't know, I, I couldn't agree with it i think i guess the main well, what's problem... specifically about it can you okay. not agree um, i think that it's making women like and victims look bad because they're saying that some people can fake it which in this case is happens throughout the plot yeah and it's okay so here's my main issue is that it, it was obviously a huge movie a lot of people known about it it's um rated pretty highly a lot of money went into it and it made a lot of money um and it is bigger than really any other movie that I can think of that features like women or people in general that have been abused or assaulted. So this is the primary narrative that people are being given from the film industry. So 
the movies that you watch kind of form the opinions and the way you take in the world, um, like as does all media. So when we watch a movie that tells us, um, oh, well, you should have been questioning the victim all along. How could you just believe her so easily? Like, you are an idiot for believing her. Obviously, she was lying to you. Um, Then it gives you this feeling that in the future, like going forwards, even if you don't realize it, you are now going to question victims. And I don't really feel like that's a positive narrative to be like take home message. Yeah. Or like, especially like the most dominant message on the topic of abuse in the film industry right now, or like the biggest movie talking about abuse is like, are movies like these and not movies about like people's experiences. (laughs) Well put. Yeah. Parth and I are men. So like, we didn't see that perspective at all. Well, I, I, I have to say, no, it's, it's, it's all valid points. I mean, I feel like there are a lot more TV shows that talk about, like, mm-hmm. survivors than, like, blockbuster Hollywood movies. Yeah, definitely. I have to say that I, I had seen this movie essentially when it came out, um, and um, I was, this was, like, when I was really getting into movies, so then I was really taken away with how it was, like, made, Um which it's it's really well constructed. The thing about it that I find is if you look at it on a on a narrative base, um, it's really cool how it plays with structure. The there's the, the twists in the fir- end of the first act and end of the second act are really cool, um, just on a bi- pure narrative basis. Um, well, in the book they alternate chapters of the narrators, yeah. which is where that came from. But in this movie, I think it's more biased towards the Ben Affleck part. Yeah, and I think, or he at least he gets more screen time, and and I think when I watched it for the first time, I was like, "Holy shit, that's so cool!" And part of that had to do with the fact that I was in eighth grade, and I was like, "Whoa, what an edgy movie!" It is that, an edgy movie. I, I and, watched it for the first time two weeks ago, and I felt that that angst. So then when I, so then when I subsequently watched it, I I that like, the whole thing of like questioning victims and do we like oh should we really just immediately believe her because there's an entire scene in which she's explaining what was a faked like um attempted murder on her to a to a bunch of police officers and the one the one lady police officer is like wait what officer bony (laughs) that's her name is that her name yeah right isn't that funny that was a decision, that. and we just let them get away with that. But there's there's that whole scene, and the there's the scene in which, uh, and she's just like, uh, wait, but wait, that's not adding up. And then everybody's like, wait, shut up, just like listen to her. Can't you see that she's so upset? And oh, it is oh, kind this of this is after she's recovered and she's still <laughs> yeah. alive, covered in blood so, in the hospital room. So then, so then it's like, what? As we were watch, as I was watching it for the first time with Sophia. Um, it had been sort of shown to me like, oh, it's telling you that the media tries to manipulate everything and you shouldn't wholeheartedly believe these survivors just because um, it can be manipulated. And um, Ben Affleck's character is portrayed as like, oh, yeah, I mean, he cheated on her, but like, look at all these horrible things that happened to him. Look, look at what can happen. And, yeah, and like, like you're supposed, to, you're obviously supposed to relate to his character and not the other woman's he's character. He's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And wait, I have a, I have a choice quote from the movie that he gives. Please. Oh, you took notes. Share. I have, I have one quote. He said this, and I just couldn't. Ready? And this is treated as like true. He goes, "I'm so sick of being apart by women." No, no. He says, "I'm sick of being ripped apart by women." I'm so sorry. But it's okay. It's, like, here's the thing. From what I've heard, my mom read the book, and she is, my mom's a psychologist, and she also had a big problem with the book as well. Um, But from what I've heard, the book is more like, they're both kind of in the wrong, she's just more in the wrong. Like, he's a worse person in the book. Well, for the the downfall of their marriage? She's in the wrong throughout this movie. (laughs) Yes, but I, I think in the book there's a bigger problem with him cheating and potentially like abusing her i'm not i'm not entirely certain well, but there's certain well it does smack the shit out of her at least once as yeah we saw. um 
and so he, and he is supposed to be a misogynist in the book that's kind of a big point of it is that he is a misogynist in the book but in the movie we don't really get that so much so it's just kind of like something he says and we're all supposed to be like oh okay like they describe the woman on tv as a blonde bimbo the whole time that other woman that like is pretends to be her friend and then robs her like it's just like the whole narrative is either women are idiots and bimbos blonde bimbos or they are um evil and conniving and will backstab you yeah are there any i feel like officer boney is the best example of like a strong woman and that this, can't be her movie. real name is that her name <laughs> that, in the movie i swear you in fact check me but there's no need <laughs> I, I saw it in the subtitles and i it made an impression also officer boney's assistant um what he's the actor from almost famous his name um B- B- patrick fugit have you seen that movie no Sophia, have you? If not, we can move on. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Never mind. One of the officers uh, is from um, this one show. I, what is it called? I don't know. It's like a teen show, and his name is Mouth. Good point. Um, uh, just on the topic of, like, the book versus the movie, from what I... I haven't read the book, but I did read a lot of... Um, in preparation for this uh, discussion, I read a bunch of articles um, that came out about the movie because the initial response to the movie was, um, yeah, it's a really good movie, but what is it saying and how do we feel about what it's saying? So there was a bunch of articles about, wait, is this misogynistic? Is it? And it was a, a highly contested um, movie. Like Sophia was saying, sorry, I I don't make Nick's character out to be a misogynist. I just think he's like, he's a good guy, but he's had a few like slip ups. So that's where it's like Mm -hmm. confusing as to his uh, like his connotation. Because in uh, in the book, um, from what I read, there's more shown that like on their like third anniversary, he goes to like strip clubs and um, because you can in the in a book, you can sort of be uh, give an internal monologue. He, it's shown like oh he feels like he kind of wants to like assault a woman that doesn't like fully agree with him and stuff like that and so i think in the from what i, I haven't read the book to be completely clear but um a lot of that gets lost in the movie in the movie mm-hmm. the downfall of their relationship is pretty much like they both lost their jobs and then he was being lazy and she started to resent him and then it and then he like, had a dying and then, mother and then it pried them apart and she was resentful because she made him move or he made her move to Missouri which would be tough for anyone especially a new yorker was she employed i was thinking about this because he was a creative writing teacher at a community college i don't know she, write, she wrote quizzes like online quizzes or something like that and then she was oh, also did, unemployed. Yeah, they both did lost she say it was personality qu- quizzes and magazines something like that yeah because he was a men's magazine writer which plays into his i don't know masculinity I, I guess that would make more sense in the book they also do in the movie which is kind of weird is that the the police and the media are all aware of the fact that or believe at least that he was abusing her regardless of if he murdered her or not um they have this journal and like this log and this friend that has vouched for the fact that she's been abused this whole time and when she comes back after what she presents as being kidnapped and raped they're like oh so you're you're cool going back with your abusive husband and they're all like yeah like you're gonna go back with the abusive husband and she's like yeah that's okay like what what <laughs> well, well her journal is like permissible as evidence and in it literally the last entry was like i think, I think my, my husband, husband is gonna kill me yeah, yeah and so... then they're just like oh okay so you're cool going back there like are and, you... yeah and the, the cops believe the journal to be true and he denied like hitting her but uh, it seems as though it happened and as soon as she's back, all of the problems in the movie are instantly solved. But I feel like there would still be a lot of, like, legal implications for them. Yeah, definitely. If, like, if, the, she just... if the police have evidence of spousal abuse, which is a crime, um, I don't know how much they're just going to be like, oh, well, like, case dismissed, she's not dead. They would be investigating her murder of Desi Collings, because that was, like, 
suspicious too. And I feel like mm-hmm. this movie was done in like, or it takes place in like the digital age where it's really hard to get away with murder. And I feel like with without even question, she just like goes home and she's like allowed to restart her life just because she was a pregnant woman who happened to be kidnapped. Mm-hmm. It's also strange, the other implication there, that this is like another kind of small point, but when she goes to live with Desi, which also such a name that just doesn't fit Neil Patrick Harris. Um, but when she does go with him, we already know that she's like a bad person and that she's tricking him essentially. But even still, um, he's like pushing himself onto her. Like, yeah, for, he's like, like you can live in my house for like 48 hours, but eventually you're going to have to have sex with me. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're supposed to be like, well, that's kind of what she deserves, which is like a lot of these things. It's just like planting a lot of like anti-women anti-victim like rhetoric and narratives kind of even and i don't know whose fault it is like i don't know where it went wrong i think it was a lot of people made a lot of little mistakes and this is definitely not their intention but it ended up being like a movie that's like this message of the movie just being like well you shouldn't trust those pesky victims uh, the, I think the worst part in terms of what you're talking about is where he like interviews uh, like the old boyfriend who like mm-hmm. was a, a registered sex offender now because Amy's gone from being raped to being murdered. It's just a direct example of theoretically saying like how easy it is for women to get away with this and to like ruin mm-hmm. men's lives as if they would do it in an antagonistic way rather than if they were just yeah uh, even though this subjected is like the yeah. the a percent of people that make up rape allegations is so low and yet this is such a big topic on the media's attention and on like public opinions attention because we will always protect our men before we protect our women well this movie uh, did come out before the me too movement which is worth noting. yeah that's true um it's just like now I feel like there's this whole narrative about like, oh, well, you could lose your job over a sexual assault claim. And that's exactly like it's an exact portrayal of that. Um, I think, again, not to talk outside of the podcast, but the first time that I showed it to Sophia, um, I kind of brought up what you had brought up, Trent, of I don't know that this movie would be made the way it was if it were made now, if it were made today. That's a good point. Um, it, it, it came out in 2014, so it's not like it's like an ancient an movie. An ancient relic. But I would say that things... I don't know that treatment of women has necessarily become better, but I do think that like people care more about whether it looks like they're treating women better. Yeah, it's more likely to get called out. So I... Th- and, and the thing that I... Th- there's two things that make me not like outright hate this movie. Um... It's is because I think it's well intentioned and kind of horribly misguided in a, many ways, because it's written by a woman, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that she can't have internalized misogyny, um, but it's written about a woman. And when she wrote the book and when the movie came out, there were lots of women that were like, I mean, I'm I'm not a I hope to think I'm not a psychopathic murderer, but there's a lot in this that I really relate to. And I mean the the big one is like the cool girl monologue, and 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 the thing is, that is an experience of a lot of women. Of they're expected to be the you know like I'm gonna smile and I'm gonna watch your Adam Sandler movies and I'm gonna. Um, yeah. I I'm think gonna... that's good because it like shows like the escalation of like her tolerance of like men's bullshit, right? Yeah, and and the thing is, that is a I mean again straight male here, but like from what I've heard when I've talked with women, that is a thing that exists of this expectation that you will be okay with whatever your man wants. And you have to deal with that. And I think I think that Gillian Flynn is trying to comment on something there, and it gets lost within what is essentially a lifetime movie. Like it, it's kind of a it's, really it's just, well done <laughs> lifetime movie. Like I'm not joking. Like movie. it's it it's it's a really like ooh, uh, it's a page turner. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's a really well-made one, but it's... what ended and, up being cut out because the book was too long to put into a movie just ended up being all the examples of him being a bad person in their relationship and all the examples of her being, like, oppressed in any capacity as a woman. And then we just get a movie that's, like, him as the protagonist. I think Ben Affleck needs to be likable for this movie to work, which is probably <laughs> why those things were curated out. Because if he was an asshole and then less people would want to, like sit through like two and a half hours where he's like the main subject mm-hmm. is because he's like handsome and charming which is commented on because it's like kind of a vital part mm-hmm. of his character yeah and i also think uh, like the second point i was going to bring up is david fincher because i think it's a really interesting case where the screenwriter is the same person as the the original, original author of the book of the source material so, yeah so 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 in a lot of cases where a book is being adapted into a movie and you get something it's like oh you kind of distorted the myth the message to a certain extent that happens a lot of times when another writer ends up adapting it because it's you know obviously it's going to happen but because of that and Gillian Flynn has is now very successful has um uh, a whole a whole other show under her belt um a few other movies that have come out that she's written and she has a new uh she's doing Amazon okay show. for herself she's she's not been like oh yeah gone girl was like mm, i don't know about that so that makes me think that she kind of stands by it which makes me mm-hmm. think she still thinks it's a good thing and the and david fincher has made movies like fight club which um Many people can disagree on it, but I think at least the intention of that is to is to delve Comment into on aggressive men because and and toxic what... masculinity and male to male and male to female relationships and all that stuff. And uh, I yeah, think... I I interpret that as a satire also. That's yeah. commenting on the absurdity of it. And and you can you can agree or disagree on the effectiveness of it, but I, you can definitely see the intent. And so I, I think I don't, that's like I an understood think... reading. What? That's like an understood reading of Fight Club. Although yeah. some people are turned off by it if they don't see that angle. And 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 so I think David Fincher is coming at this on on good terms. But I think in a pre Me Too movement, we were more okay with Yeah, but like what if she's lying though? Whereas mm-hmm. now that's more called to the forefront. Like, just three years later. Especially in the cultural moment that we're in, like, watching it when this is such a sensitive topic, it makes it it look so much more blaring. Because if that were released today, it wouldn't wouldn't fly, and it would definitely be ridiculed for its, uh, for, like, Mm its, for one of its messages, or... yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think that they came at this, like, like... We're gonna make a fuck women movie. Yeah, exactly, but... Like, as someone who is a friend of many victims and am a victim myself, watching this movie genuinely felt like a slap in the face. And, like, I I just don't understand how you could watch it without feeling, like, nauseous. Like, I don't know. It it ended up being, like, no bueno. Was it just uh, that aspect that turned you off to it entirely? Or did you not like the movie as a whole? I thought the movie was fine as a whole, like, it, and it could have gone in so many other directions as well, but just, like, the end product... I think it's too intrinsically tied to be kind of separated yeah, like, from that. It, exactly. So you can't... It's such a vital part of the plot that, like, it doesn't end. There's no beginning and end of, like, the victim blaming in it, kind of. Like, it's kind of the It's not like there's purpose. the one scene... It's not like there's the one scene with that guy... Mm-hmm. like if there was that one scene and you're like whoa that was a decision and then everything yeah. else was fine you can be like uh, not a great scene but still it's an okay movie but like mm-hmm. the whole message of the movie is like hmm maybe we need to be scared that men will be taken down yeah it's like men being scared of like their privileges taken being taken away I, I think the media is portrayed as like a big idiot in this movie too mm-hmm. but I, I think that's funny and yeah. like and and very topical, like uh, with all the news reporter ladies or like the the specific blonde one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, D- Trent. Yeah, I I don't know if you said what you overall think of this movie. Yeah. This so, whole thing. 
um, I watched this part, this movie on your account, Parth, on your Voodoo, and so I watched the first like two hours, and at that point, uh, I, I was so anxious to see the end, and uh, then then I my Voodoo got cut off, and then I had, and then my electricity was out for like four days, and I couldn't watch it <laughs> until like four days later. So there was so much uh, suspense built up for the last thirty minutes. And I was, like, so amped. I was talking about Gone Girl all over town. I was like, this is the best movie I've seen in a long time. And the last 30 minutes really, like, slapped me in the face. I was dissatisfied with the end, which I think is something we need to discuss. What would you have changed? I thought it ended so abruptly. I don't know what else they would have included to make it less abrupt. How did she get his sperm sample? Like... Because the what's insinuated is that she stole his uh his his fluid and then impregnated herself with his child and was gonna hold him hostage for eighteen years and he said that he was gonna stand by it because he didn't want to abandon his child. It it was uh, put earlier in the movie that that he had frozen, um, some in in like a sperm bank or something. Yeah, but he like gets the notice in the mail that it had been like properly disposed of. But so it's I I'm I'm assuming that maybe she like maybe she or forged that document. Yeah, it must have been one of the two. But yeah, she's made up to be like so sinister, but like in a likable way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm su- I'm I'm surprised by your take of. You really loved the first two hours, but then the last 30 minutes turned you off. I just think I had so much anticipation for the first time around, because I was like, there's been so many twists and turns, where is this going to end? Because it seemed like when she came home, there was still so much left to do, because I knew it just wouldn't mm-hmm. end, and um, I just thought it would go a lot further. I, I was thinking mm-hmm. about, would this, and this is going to sound crazy, would this movie have worked if like Nick killed Amy, or is that like taking away the entire premise? I think that that would leave less, like... To do, because otherwise it, it, that would just make it a pretty standard murder movie. Mm-hmm. Because it leaves you feeling uneasy is the... Like, it, it's supposed to at least leave you feeling uneasy. The What the first two hours set up, I don't think that it really makes sense for him to murder her. Because the whole point is about how... Uh, agree with it or disagree with it. it it kind of does show like oh how the media can really like how how perceptions can be so easily formed against somebody and so if it ends with him actually doing what everybody thinks he's done it kind of takes away from that message parth i know this movie has an aspect that you love from knives out where it changes the stakes or like the the lens halfway through yeah, no. Uh, uh, well, I've talked about this earlier with Trent in previous conversations with him, previous private conversations with him. Off um, air. Where I really like it when movies do a thing where at like a, a first act break or midway point um, completely change the rules by which the movie is playing. Um, which Knives Out does. Which, which well. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to spoil Knives Out for anybody that hasn't seen it. <laughs> but but um, like this movie does it where the first 40 minutes we don't know if nick killed amy i think you're kind of led to believe that he may have yeah and then and then 40 minutes in we get the knowledge that oh she staged this whole thing which completely changes it completely changes what all of the tension is and what you are now scared of happening in the movie i love it when movies do that and this movie does it like twice because i didn't Mm -hmm. expect her to come back because i didn't expect her to come back like that at least so then yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I thought it was it, interesting that she decided to come back just because she had nowhere else to go because she got her money stolen and Neil Patrick Harris was going to, like, rape her. I thought the plan was to kill, kill herself. herself. So I don't know why she didn't do that. My question is, why would she want to kill herself? You'd think that she would just want to run away and, like, live her life in Mexico or something. I guess she really wanted him to get the death penalty, and for that to happen, yeah. you have to have a body. But... They can track how long a body has been dead for, so I don't... Right? So, like, it, it, it'd be one thing if she was, like, planning on killing herself, like, the day after or something, but she was planning on doing it months down, which just wouldn't really work. Another huge, uh, f- another huge plot hole I saw is if 
Nick doesn't, like, go to Pebble Beach to, like, think if he wants to get a divorce or not. Say he just, like, went immediately, uh, like, to a public place. Then he would have an alibi, and then he couldn't be tied to the murder. He couldn't be accused of it. Yeah, she she really held on to that statement that she was like, go somewhere and think about our marriage. Like, why did why did he take that so literally? I feel Again, like I would this, th- this movie is a is a page turner. It is it is not like it is like really standard kind of trashy magazine material written as high art. Which I think is where like the problems come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there was one witness, like say in the neighborhood, like uh, then, like, her entire plan is foiled. So I just, I like movies where, like, every angle of a crime is thought out, and th- this isn't, as thorough as her plan is, at, at the beginning, there are some issues that no one Yeah, they try to make it seem like she is such a, such that an it's intelligent the person plan. that she didn't make any mistakes, but then it just ends up being, like, luck, quite honestly. What do you think is... What do you think is the function of, like, the Amazing Amy book franchise, like, as a subplot in this movie? I guess it It, brings the media into her life even before the whole problem. Yeah, it it makes her disappearance, like, a big deal. Yeah, and it it also has affected her life before even their whole marriage. The media has been affecting this girl or woman, like, her entire life. And it gives the parents money because, like, the trust Mm -hmm. fund being removed is a big deal. And, and it makes it, it, I think it ties it in thematically to um, public versus private perceptions of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole thing is, oh yeah, like pu- you're supposed to, because the whole big thing is I have to pretend that I give a shit about all of these things that you care about so that we can give the public perception that we are in a happy marriage so that I can in public be like, oh yeah, I love my husband and he loves mm-hmm. me. Whereas privately, she doesn't care about any of that and um that's not who she is and that's a huge point in the movie so i think the books kind of function as that is all that is from day one for her um like like in that one scene where it was like when i um stopped taking some music yeah cello lessons she suddenly became a prodigy so it's like changing the public perception of reality to make it better i also this is kind of random but I felt like the movie, or the movie, the music was really weird. Like, that that like weird, like, I liked the, the ambiance. I didn't like it. I thought it was, like, stupid. I, I'm gonna have to disagree I there. I didn't like it. I thought it was, like, nice and airy and suspenseful. Like, I, I don't think there could be, like, real, like, uh, like, like, he- I don't know, like, lyrical music behind it, because it's so dialogue-driven. I, I think it just yeah, had to be, like... I don't think it needed to have lyrical music but it just like the music was so loud and they would use that same track over and over that like dreamy kind of sound or whatever and i just thought it sounded i don't know i didn't like it i thought it was dumb i generally i generally like what atticus ross and trent reznor bring to the table i i was a fan all right let's assign a rating out of 10 parth you go first uh i don't know how to rate this movie and where does this lie in your uh, David Fincher ranking? Uh, below Social Network, below Seven, below Fight Club, below... Zodiac? Zodiac. Um, I haven't seen Girl with Dragon Tattoo. And I it might seen be Alien above 3, Girl with a Dragon I Tattoo, because all... I think Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is a little bit... Uh, no. What about uh, Benjamin Button? I put this above that. I like Benjamin Button more than this. Kirk loves Benjamin Button. I, th- I, know, I thought it was he's fun. A sentimental guy. Um, but I think I guess, at, in terms of how it's made as a movie, probably an eight out of ten. In terms of what it is as a movie, I don't know that I can really rate it because it's like the the direction's good, the acting is good, the plot turns are good. It's but like I feel like it's, it's objectively message, so entertaining. I th- yeah. It it is uh, I think a page turn. It's technically high art. Yeah, but um, so I don't know. I I don't. Sophia, your thoughts? Take it away. I I also don't know. I feel like I'm bad at rating things in general. I can give it a two out of ten because like it Whoa. theoretically could be good, but like I found it deeply offensive. 
Okay. I have not so been offended. Giving it a two. I have not been offended by a movie like I have been offended by Gone Girl. I think ever. Like it was so awful. You were personally wronged by it. Yes. Um, now I feel hesitant about uh, <laughs> being really supportive of it. Um, I'm gonna give it like a six point five. Being that like I I still thoroughly enjoyed it, but um. In my David Fincher ranking, it's just a compliment to him that I love all of his movies so much more. But it's it's lower on my David Fincher list. Um, I, I'm gonna give it a seven or lock it in. Final answer. I guess the thing is, like, for you watching it versus for me watching it, like, coming at it as a female is like I could never enjoy the movie. Like, it's not like I got the chance, like both of you did, to watch it once and then contemplate later how it was offensive. So it's like. I think that as a movie, the idea behind it, it could be really entertaining, but I was never able to watch it and just be entertained. I was only able to watch it and be, like, disgusted by it, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, as a woman, you have more, like, personal politics in the game, and Parth and I are kind of blind to that. So, Mm -hmm. we're just puppets, baby. We're just, uh, we're the lowest common denominator, just consuming content. (laughs) And supporting support anything we can get our grubby little hands on. Well, I guess that's the that that's it for this episode, right? What's the next episode, Parth? Tell the lovely people. Um, Trent, did you see a movie that came out earlier this year titled Birds of Prey? It was the last movie I saw in theaters before the Rona hit. I saw it in the RU Cinema. It was it was a matinee. D- do you remember interviewing Evan Schiff, editor or? co-editor of birds of prey how could i forget well our, our next episode is our interview with evan schiff um he worked on editor of birds of prey worked on movie. birds of prey worked on john wick two and three worked on uh, mission impossible four star trek star trek into darkness star trek uh, star wars the force awakens a uh, bunch of movies you got a fun jj abrams story in this one um tune in next week guys it's it's gonna be a wild ride Thank you to our guest, Sophia, Parth's friend. Uh, Thank you for having guest. me, friends. You're first woman. This is a major landmark for us. We're we're gonna tr- we're gonna try. Happy we're gonna to- try to get some women. Happy to represent. Yes. Now uh, it, it, uh, we just need to have ten more male guests before we need another female to meet quota. Well, obviously, it's ratio. <laughs> it's opposite frat house ratio. All right. Goodbye. Bye, fellas. Bye. All right, stop recording.